Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. It's been a great joy and honor to be here these few days. And I really, I mean, I travel the nations and hundreds of churches. I always look forward to coming here because of the sweetness of God's presence, the love of the people. I feel at home with my peeps. I enjoy it. I love and honor your pastor as a great man of God who has a tremendous grasp of the Scriptures. Um, he's very eloquent in the Word, and I appreciate that about him. His ability to take the Word of God and to break it open, even in times when we're driving together, he shares little nuggets of his research with me. And I'm always blown away by what he finds. Um, sometimes I find myself saying, oh, I wish I had got that first. It's so good. Now I'm going to have to just say I received this from the Lord. But um, I, I, I so much appreciate the hospitality and the generosity of the saints in this place. Um, before I get into the Word now, I will do that in a few moments. Um, I want to just mention my book table again for the last time. There are bookmarks. You're welcome to take one or more. On there is a QR code that will take you into my website, especially if you read e-books. That's where you can get them. You can get information on our ministry. If you go back from that uh, into the home page, you'll see everything about global ministries. This is my latest book, How Beautiful Are the Feet. It's a call uh, to reach the lost, to disciple the found, and to build the church. This is why we remain. If today is gain, why do we remain? Is because we've been entrusted with a ministry to make a difference in this, genera in this generation. And so uh, in here I lay out principles that have allowed me by His grace to reach hundreds of thousands of souls over my nearly 50 years in full-time ministry. And that passion remains in me that I've put it into book form. There are other books there as well, but I mentioned that one, which is my latest book. I want to get into the Word, and um, I certainly love the atmosphere of worship. And so for me, I don't like too many preliminaries. I want to use that atmosphere that is contagious with the presence of God to step into the Word. And so I want to be faithful with that. Um, we have dealt with the anointing. And again tonight I will finish with that theme, fresh oil. Uh, anoint my head with fresh oil. At, at that table that is spread even in the presence of our enemies, He anoints our head with oil. The prophet, the priest, and the king had to be anointed with holy oil. We looked at the ingredients of the holy anointing oil last night. That is, all the products squeezed 
from tree <laughs> and from the reed and from the olive, all the product of crushing, bruising, breaking, and uh, that which flows for me out of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the prophet, the priest, and the king were anointed with oil, typifying the spiritful life that would be found epitomized in Jesus, but then passed down to us from Him. And, and so go with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, and we'll read that as an introduction verse for where I'm going to go. And we find that in verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And we know that from the baptism at the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove upon Jesus. He is then led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He returns in the power of the Spirit. And now He shares from this impartation from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And I want to say this, that God is speaking over our lives today. He loves the church. He loves you. And He is speaking over your life. You are loved of God. You are chosen by God. And the same Spirit that came upon Jesus, the anointed life, is the same Spirit that we receive. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Two, we are not just anointed for, we are anointed to a task, to a ministry, to a work. One of the great frustrations that I find in the modern day church is that people want the touch of God, they want the anointing of God, they want the presence of God, but they want it for themselves. We can enjoy that holy touch because in His presence is the fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So in the presence of God and the touch of God does bring pleasure, enjoyment, and privilege, but it's more than that. It's for you and then through you to a cause. And yeah, the cause is to preach the gospel to the poor, sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then Jesus sat down, having closed the Scriptures, and He said, Today this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what the prophet Isaiah spoke of looking forward is now being fulfilled in the life and the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus died, the anointed life never ended, for it was for Him, through Him, to us. The Spirit-filled life is the normal Christian life, or the anointed life is the normal Christian life, because we are kings and priests unto God. 
and they had to be anointed. And we are a prophetic generation. Our sons and daughters prophesy. That means we prophesy. Desire that you may prophesy. You know, so we understand that we are a prophetic people. We are a kingly people. We are a priestly people. That means we are an anointed people. In preparing for tonight, I felt like I want to speak on uh, two things if I can get enough time in my 40-minute anointing. Just a tad less than yours, seeing you the lead pastor. Um, he has a 45-minute. I'm going for a 40-minute anointing just to show that it can be done quickly. I want to touch on two things related to the anointed life. That which is on the head, down the beard to the edge of the garment, that's us, the edge of the garment. That which was upon Jesus, as the Father has sent me, how did He go? Anointed of the Holy Spirit with power led by the Spirit. That's how we are sent. To obtain that kind of a lifestyle, there are two things I want to address. Number one, our thirst for God, which positions us to be a vessel for God's glory, and faith, because faith is how we walk, how we live, and how we operate in the dimensions of the Spirit. I want to start with dealing with our hunger and thirst and Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The cry of the psalmist is one that should be in our hearts perpetually. And it is this thirst that positions us to be a vehicle for God to use. You have people that are passive and indifferent. And even though they have had encounters with God, they just sucked it up for themselves. But then you've got this generation that understand that it's for us, through us, for someone else. And so they want to walk worthy in a manner before God as this vehicle. So they position themselves. How do they do that? With the heart of desire, with the heart of hunger and thirst. We're not thirsting just for the anointing. We are actually thirsting for the God of the anointing. It's just like we, we love the Word but that's really because we love the God of the Word. <laughs> because He is the Word, and He is the truth, and we love Him, therefore we love His Word. We're not just Bible-believing Christians, we are God-loving, God-seeking, Bible-believing Christians. <laughs> By the way, Christian means anointed ones. In Psalm 63 and verse 1, 
very similar to Psalm 42, I think. Oh God, you are my God. You're not just God of the universe, God the creator. You are my God. I have access to my God. I have received him and allowed him this position of ruling in and through my life because he has the ascendancy. He is the master, the ruler, and the king of our lives. And we have abdicated the, the throne and yielded it to him. That's why we declare that Jesus is Lord. He is the ruler. This is the life position before God. This is the heart of the God seeker. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. That doesn't just mean getting up early in the morning, which is not a bad idea, but it's not really about time. Early means you are my highest priority. So if you do like sleeping in, you can breathe a sigh of relief. This is not a guilt trip. It's not the hour you wake up, but it's when you wake up is your heart pounding in anticipation of this fresh day, this new encounter with God. Early, my highest priority is to seek you. My soul thirsts for you, desire. Here's one of my many sayings. The measure of your thirst will be the capacity that God will fill. Little thirst, little drink. Big thirst, big drink. So we want to create a spiritual appetite for Him because then when we have Him, my God, early will I seek you. In Him is this anointing. In Him is this revelation. In Him is this ministry because it is in Him we live and move and have our being. And it's for His glory. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And even when you get into that promised place, that land that is rich and fertile, doesn't mean you lose your appetite. Whether you're in that dry place or whether you're in that fertile place, your capacity never ceases for Him. And then as you get to know Him, you want more of Him. <laughs> I love that and I see that in the Apostle Paul, who has now served God for many years, coming close to the end of his life in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 7 to 10. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ, who is the anointed one. And in the anointed one is the anointed life. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. This is just not merely knowing about Him theologically, but this is knowing Him experientially as a way of life. All these things that were once precious and valuable and were our attraction have lost their appeal. 
There is a new appeal. There is a new attraction. It is for Him who is our King and our Lord and our God. The knowledge of Christ Jesus, the Anointed One, my Lord. Understand it is in the rulership. It is in the submission. It is in the authority that we flow and operate in the anointing of God. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, the anointed one, and in him the anointed life, and be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. This sounds to the carnal like a whole lot of loss and suffering. But to the spiritual, it is the highest form of living. Because in dying, we live. Hallelujah. We're talking about spiritual hunger and thirst for God. The, the God cry, the God yearning, that which is the, the passion of our heart is where we find ourselves entering into this intimacy and consciousness of the presence of God. And in that we are positioned to flow in the operations of the Spirit. I want to discuss our spiritual thirst for a moment. How do I cultivate a spiritual thirst? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for God, His righteousness, revival, healing. Whatever you hunger and thirst for, that's what you'll go after. Find a thirsty man. And he'll not be looking for a vehicle, for clothing, comfort. He'll be looking for what? Water. I know that from experience. I was in a situation where I was without water for seven days. Some say you can't live for more than two or three. I'm evidence that you can live seven days without water. Eventually... My lips were swollen and cracked. And even because we were soldiers, we were kind of, you, you get sick humor. We would tell jokes just to watch our lips crack and bleed more. <laughs> but um, I was so thirsty. I would find a blade of grass and I would suck the moisture out of the blade of grass just to have something. I would put a pebble in my mouth just to keep it moist, sucking on the pebble. Blades of grass, anything to get moisture. Eventually, as you are that thirsty, all you can think about is water. You don't think about anything else. All you think about is that which you need, water. 
your, you lose sight of your mission <laughs> because you now are that desperate. All you want to do is, how do I locate water? Because without water, I will die. I cannot win a battle while I'm dying of thirst. We started out on our patrol that week with a bottle of water each and we were meant to get to certain places when we got there where there was meant to be water there was none and so we had a water bottle and you're very careful you don't miss a drop when you've only got a bottle a day and you walk in 30 kilometers on patrol with enemies landmines and all sorts of stuff around when you when you take a sip of that water you just you savor it because you know that's what you've got for the day until you get to the next water point. But when you get to a water point and there's no water, you get to the next one and you get to the next one and you get to the next one and then you realize there is no water. Eventually I came to a little pool of water. I lie when I say it was water. It was green sludge. And... My troops and I, we just pushed away the scum. We didn't boil the water, which is what we were meant to do, because we were that thirsty. We just drank it up there and then. And we didn't want to leave that spot until our thirst was quenched and our water bottles were filled so that we could continue on our mission but um, I know what it is to be thirsty <laughs> having been in that dry place and I know what it is to get water even though I've come to the place where Jesus said to the woman at the well if you drink this living water you will thirst no more I remain perpetually thirsty, which is not a contradiction to the voice of Jesus, to the Word of God, because what's happened is all other drinks have lost their attraction. Now my thirst is only for more of that which I have tasted and enjoyed. And I realize that having drunk and tasted of that living water, of that life in the Spirit, I want more and more. So I live in a permanent place of having a quenched thirst and yet thirsting for more. Does that make sense? It's not like He has disappointed me. It's so good, I want more of it. So when you are thirsty you will go out, of, out your way to get a drink. You'll walk. I've, I've watched elephants when the Okavango Delta dries up in the summer months uh, and the, the water runs out. They will travel from the Okavango all the way through Botswana to Livingston, Zambia, hundreds of kilometers with lions even trying to attack elephants because everything becomes dependent on food. 
And elephants are big, but believe me, when you've got a pride of lions and you are thirsty, they will go after even elephants. And I've watched those elephants get to the water. Now, when you see they get close to the water, it's quite a sight to see as a photographer. Because they, you'll see their trunk go up and they can smell the water and they start running, and they're weak, and they're tired, but they know they're near water, and they start running, and you watch the dust just pounding in their feet, and the little ones will surge ahead. They're just so desperate for the water, and there's the storm of the elephants. Elephants in the desert of Africa will travel 30 kilometers a day, between the place where they eat and the place where they will drink. They need huge amounts of water to survive, and they will travel that distance to get to it. Why? Because they are thirsty. The way we position ourselves for the anointed life is to live in a thirsty place, desiring, wanting, craving, desire spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are found in the anointed life. Be filled with the Spirit. How? By being positioned in desire. Rid yourself of any distractions that would rob you of living in this place. Don't go for a counterfeit drink that cannot satisfy. Get to the real thirst quencher. <laughs> Jesus, the Spirit-filled life. The second area that I want to touch tonight is faith. I want to deal with faith. If I may say mountain-moving faith. Because the anointing is not for some small task. I believe the anointing is the world-changing spirit. When the earth was without void, form and vo was void, God spoke His Word and the Spirit moved. And when the Spirit moves, it changes. He changes everything. When the Spirit moves upon your life, you will not be the same. That's why on the day of Pentecost... The 120 that were in that room that received the mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire, they came out of that room different to when they went into that room. They were not the same. They had been deniers of Jesus, cowards. They had fled from Jesus and in His mercy and grace restored them. But when they came out there, that room, they were bold. They were courageous. They were strong. They walked in a whole new dimension instead of just being the followers of Jesus. Now they were the leaders of the church. Authoritative, bold. Peter standing, the one who had denied standing with the leaven, began to speak with great clarity and authority. And that world of 3,000 souls was saved. Why? Because they were filled with the Spirit, or they were highly anointed. 
as the saints of God, we've been given great and precious promises in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, in other words, you have to appropriate these to be this. You are offered these, but if you don't accept and embrace these, you will live just a normal life of a normal citizen. But when you embrace these exceedingly great and precious promises and you appropriate them into your life, you become what that word has declared you to be. You don't get this by passively reading the Bible. You read the word and then you embrace that word of what God says you are, who you are, what you've been given, and how you to operate in those dimensions, you suddenly become what the Word says you are. By which you have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature. Just like... In John's Gospel, he says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be the sons of God. Not everyone embraces the right that they've been offered. How do you embrace that right? By faith. You accept what God says about you, and you enter into that life of the Spirit and then you become what he says you are. Many people receive Jesus, but they never embrace the right of living and operating as a child of God. They just continue living their normal failed way. They never arise into their spiritual inheritance and destiny by becoming what the Word says they are by doing what the Word says they should do and living in that God-filled, Spirit-filled lifestyle. Notice that we become partakers of His divine nature. If, if I read this superficially as a mere man, I would think this is almost like, it sounds blasphemous. How can I, a mere man, be a partaker of the divine, the divine? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How do I become a partaker of that nature, character, personality, and power? By faith. I am what I am by the grace of God. But I have to receive that grace, how? By faith. Grace and faith work together. Grace is offered to all men through the gospel, the completed work of Christ. By faith you are saved because of the grace. So Paul writes and he says, by grace you are saved when you believe the word. But it's also by faith that you are saved as you speak out what has happened in your heart. 
that I believe Jesus died for me, rose again from the dead, and I receive Him as the Lord of my life, then you become a partaker, a new creation, born again, and then you, in your spiritual infancy, press into your destiny. You don't get there by being passive, by being a spectator. You get it by being hungry, by seeking, by pursuing, by stirring into these dimensions. Notice that this divine nature gives you a way of escape from the corruption that is in the world through lust. So now, no longer are you living like the world because you're a partaker of this divine nature. You are now living in sonship as sons and daughters of God operating in new dimensions. How was the son sent? Anointed. How are you to live? Anointed. Every promise of God is yes and amen. But how do you receive that promise? By faith. We walk by faith. I love what James writes. I mean, there's this, you know, for all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him, amen. So His yes becomes my amen, agreement with the promise to the glory of God through us. And then James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So often today when people are suffering, they get others to pray for them, and that's good, but are they praying for themselves? Or do they enter in, in their pain, sickness, into a state of passivity? Now, it's good to get people to pray with you, because if any two shall agree as touching anything, it is a great thing to have people that will pray for you. In part of Global Ministries, we have what is called 517, Pray Without Ceasing. I've got a couple of hundred intercessors praying today. A lady had surgery uh, to remove part of her liver and um, her intestine a couple of feet because of cancer. We prayed for her while she was in surgery, believing for not only a deliverance from that disease, but that she'll be raised and accelerated in her health. And she appealed for prayer. And we will pray for people. When my son was paralyzed, before God raised him, I could feel the prayer of the saints energizing me and touching my son. I could feel it. I could feel the invasions of God's glory penetrating me, building hope and faith, ridding me of the negative thoughts that came to destroy my faith and to destroy his faith. And because we said to that mountain, be lifted up and cast into the sea and did not doubt in our heart, we got what we said. But there were the prayers of the saints. But I was also praying. And my son was praying. We weren't in a place of passivity, indifference. You cannot operate in the dimensions of the anointing in passivity and indifference. You operate in faith and you operate in thirst, desire. Whatever you desire when you pray, desire and thirst or appetite. Desire spiritual gifts. 
as newborn babes, desire the pure milk. Desire the appetite is what causes you to be opened to receive what God has for your life. Even on Sunday morning when I spoke about the, the importance of the corporate anointing, when we come to church, we don't come passive to see what we can get. We come prepared, ready, hungry, thirsty, pressing, expectant. And what we do when we come in in that atmosphere, we create an environment for God to move. When the worship team has to try and stir up an appetite, stir up faith, it's it's hard when the preacher has to kind of try and lift the people to a place to receive. It's hard. But when they come in, it's called honor. It's called faith. It's called expectation. The environment changes. Tonight, I, I, I felt we were in that place. You could hear it in worship. You could feel it in the atmosphere. You came with excitement, expectation. And that's the realm where you'll find the anointing, the glory, the presence. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, anointing in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. So notice the anointing and faith operating together. But notice also that that sick person is desiring healing. They're not saying, well, whatever will be, will be. They're not coming in with that attitude of, if it be your will. They're coming with a desire for a breakthrough, for a touch. They're coming ready for a miracle. There is an anticipation in their heart creating an environment for God to move. So many times when Jesus was going about as a man anointed of the Holy Spirit and with power doing good and healing all who are oppressed of the devil, it wasn't just the healing gifts in operation. It was also the faith in the people that were in operation. Sometimes there was the gifts of healings and the workings of miracles flowing through Jesus, other times he would say, according to your faith, be it unto you. Not according to my gift, but according to your faith. Pulling the divine virtue through him into their bodies. That's not passive. That woman pressed through the crowd to get to the edge of the God. The, the men ripped open the roof to get the, Jesus seeing their faith. Faith can be seen. Faith can be heard. Faith can be felt as she touched. I felt virtue flowing through me. And then he says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Turning it just from healing now to world-changing prayer. Because he then goes on to say, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. 
Well, when he prayed that it would not rain, he wasn't praying his will. God had revealed to him that he must cause the weather to be changed through the prophetic word. Because whatever God did on earth, he revealed it to his servants, the prophets, who would then not, not only prophesy it, but in this case, pray it. The same when they went in the upper room. Jesus had said, stay in Jerusalem until you be endured with power. You will receive the promise of which I spoke. They went into the upper room, not passive. They went in there with expectation, praying what Jesus had promised, that we would receive from heaven this promise. So they were praying in agreement with the Word of God. I don't just pray need. I don't pray desperation, although there is desperation. I pray desperation with faith based on the promise of the Word of God. I don't actually pray my circumstances. I pray the solution that is found in the Word of God. I don't say, oh God, my body is sick. I say, oh God, I thank you for the provision of your word that when you went to the cross and died, you gave your back to the smiters. They plowed it like a field and by your stripes, I was healed. I'm not praying, God, I'm sick. I'm praying, God, your word says that you have made provision. This is my portion. I pray, oh God, that if the, the, the crumbs under the table could cause the dogs daughter to be delivered, then I as a citizen of the kingdom who eats the bread from the top of the table can then walk in your healing provision. Elijah was a man. We are men, but I, there is a kind of a contradiction here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And you remember when Paul and uh, uh, Silas worked the miracle, they ripped their clothes. They said, men, we, we're just like you. But they weren't. They were carriers of the anointing. We are, if you look at us superficially, we are by nature just like everyone else. But we're not. We are operating in the divine nature of God as citizens of the kingdom with access to all the promises of God. We're not living as mere humans. We are hearing from God and praying His will and watching Him move. I need to confess that I lie. I will not preach for 40 minutes. Thank you for the... <laughs> I bind you, Siri. <laughs> you foul spirit <laughs> controlling me. <laughs> Come out! <laughs> But he prayed earnestly, and it did not rain. And he prayed again according to the word of God. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I noticed that Elijah, a highly anointed prophet, who then transferred the mantle, the anointing to Elisha, and eventually God placed it upon Elisha as well, 
a second time the anointing anointings was not just a passive ordinary man he was a God seeker full of faith obedient understood the will the mind of God revealed by the word and operated in those dimensions the anointed life isn't one of mere church attendance when we can fit it into our busy life it's the earnest seeker God's eyes are roaming through the, the earth looking for the hearts that yearn that hunger that thirst that desire these operations in the anointing so I found for me the way I operate in the anointing of God is I stay thirsty for more. Not just for good meetings, but for a world-changing anointing. And the second thing that I do is I make sure I stay in faith. I don't let what I don't see happening rob me of the potential of what is happening and what can happen. I take my eyes off the things that are going wrong and the things that appear not to be changing like we were singing he is the promise keeper he is the way maker he is the miracle working God and even when you don't see him working he's working even when you don't feel he's working he's working we walk and we operate by faith so when you don't see it doesn't mean he's not doing it it's just he hasn't give us, given us the ability to focus on that spiritual dimension. If you could pull back the veil, you'll find God at work. The anointed life is the life of faith. And it's the life of the hungry, the thirsty, the position before God with desire. I want you to live the anointed life, the spirit-filled life, the God-possessed life, whether it be an anointing of joy, an anointing to preach the gospel, an anointing to make disciples. There are different anointings that we walk in. Sometimes the anointing is very strong on your life. It seems like it. And then other times you don't feel it as strong. It doesn't mean that it's not working. It's just not heightened in your life. You can stir it whenever you want. Stir up the gift that is within you. We saw that with the joy night the other night. And we saw it last night. Many of you have already received breakthroughs in joy. But we stirred up. We entered into that dimension called eternity. We stirred up what had already been given and even if you hadn't been given it, you could enter into what had been given and receive it. Hallelujah. So, sadly, I've come to the end of my few days with you. Saturday night with the leaders, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, and yeah, we are Wednesday. But I do want to lay hands one more time and pray for you. That God would touch you, bless you, fill you, change you. <laughs> 
where you need changing from glory to glory from strength to strength remember we are not operating in a sense of guilt shame nakedness we're standing and living in a position of righteousness with bold access to God and uh Bold access is a phenomenal thing that we, as the sons and daughters of God, we don't approach Father as groveling servants begging or as those outside of the kingdom begging. We come in not strutting in with arrogance like a spoiled, precocious brat. We approach with humility, understanding that He is the sovereign of the universe. He is the God above all gods. Every other God is an idol. He is the true and living God, eternal, immortal. But at the same time, we enter in not as distant relatives that show up at Christmas and Thanksgiving, weddings and funerals. We approach as sons and daughters that love the presence of heaven and in fact we are seated in heavenly places where we rule and reign in this life through Christ Jesus so we're not entering in as distant relatives but those that are familiar with the atmosphere of the eternal and the glory hallelujah the gravitational force of the earth has lost its grip on us hallelujah for we have been raised with Him far above principality and power. We're not just above, we're far above. Hallelujah. Right here, right now, heaven's glory and provision is available to our lives.